And so I look back on those horrific things that happened to me, you know, where I went through 18 months of my hell time with my first husband leaving me. And then I look at my father's suicide and just five months of dark, deep, whole depression. And I literally flipped a switch that it was, it was less than a week that my son passed away that I decided it wasn't going to be like that. There was pain, but I wasn't going to suffer. And those are two different things. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. Today, my guest is an amazing woman who has lived all over the United States. She seemed to change schools every year. She even had an experience as a foreign exchange student in Sweden when she was a junior in high school. Because of this, she loves to travel all over the world. A favorite pastime of hers is reading historical fiction, which as a busy mother, she doesn't get to as often as she would like. She enjoys working out and having self-improvement time, especially early in the morning, which I can relate to. That's the only time I can get stuff done, too. She has four children, four grandchildren, a husband who is a full-time engineer and a part-time army colonel. She has received a Bachelor of Arts and a Master's in Economics from the University of Utah and has worked in sales for many years and even earned the number one senior sales rep award. She currently has her own small trucking company and the rest of the time she spends coaching. Her focus shifted three months ago and we're going to talk a little bit about why in this interview. She has had several challenging situations she's had to deal with including suicide in her own family. So, without any further ado, I am pleased to present Lark Galley. Lark, are you ready to share your story of hope? I am ready. Yes, thanks. Awesome. So, you are just amazing. You're a world traveler, which is so fun, and you've seen lots of things. But we're going to dive into your life first. <laughs> so, let's talk a little bit. Why don't we start off with your first marriage and, and kind of progress from there? Sure. So, years ago it's you know not quite 30 years ago but mm-hmm. somewhere right in there I, i'm guessing maybe just close to 30 years ago <laughs> <laughs> as we count back um you know you get married and you sort of have the way life is going to be and i look back now and i'm like my life is nothing like the way i thought it was going to be and so often we get caught up in the way we think things are and uh, we just need to turn things over and know that it will all work out for the best Uh, But at the time, it didn't feel like the best. So we'd been married for several years and about, you know, my late 20s, I'm thinking, hey, it's about time for us to have uh, a a child here. So it can't be that hard, right, to get pregnant. (laughs) It took me three years and going to infertility clinics and all of these things and and the shots and uh, in vitro and all of that and nothing worked. Wow. And finally, I gave up and Mm -hmm. I said, "Okay, God, I'm, I'm done trying to do it my way. And the interesting thing was all through this, I was praying because having a child, thats that seems like a good thing that God would want you to have, right? Uh, he actually told me no. Really? 
that was frustrating. But I said, fine, I'm going to do it anyway. And I kept trying, you know, over and over. And after two in vitro and it didn't take, uh, I said, okay, you know, you're right. The answer is no. And I had an appointment with an adoption agency. Mm-hmm. And right before my appointment, I started getting those feelings. I'm like, I think I'm pregnant. Mm. How is this possible? Right? Because right. I had stopped trying. Right. And I took the the little test and it was positive. Wow. And I was amazed. I'm like, okay, wow, that was interesting, right? Mm-hmm. That I had to go through all that. And I had no idea why. Right. But it, it was a good preparation for what was to come, come after that, right? Mm-hmm. Just being able to trust in God and rely on him and the things that had, had happened during that time. And I was so excited. My husband was away on a business trip. He came home mm-hmm. and I sat him down and I'm just so excited. And I said, honey, we've been trying so long. Guess what? I'm pregnant and I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. And I'm expecting that he's going to be so excited as well. Absolutely. Right. We'd been trying for three years, right? Yeah. And uh, nope, he wasn't. He said, I don't want to be a father. And I don't want to be married to you. And I was devastated. This was, this came out of the blue. I mean, completely unexpected. No clue. Wow. And so for the next few months, you know, every chance he got to start a fight, pick a fight, he started it. And I'm like, I'm not knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think he was just trying to justify leaving and trying to create problems so that he could feel justified in uh, walking away from the marriage, which he did. Um, this would have been just over 23 years ago, so 23 and a half years ago. He just walked away. I was six months pregnant. Mm. I felt like um, a teenage, you know, teenage pregnancy where you're completely on your own. That's what it felt like as mm-hmm. a as a 30 year old. Wow. This was before cell phones. You know that they had cell phones, but not everybody used it. You know, it was just wasn't at that price point. We didn't use them like that. And so I, he was working out of state. You know, he'd have to commute via the airlines. He was working for the airlines. And he just literally disappeared. Wow. So I had no way to get in touch with him. I had his work address and that was it. Wow. Crazy. And so I'm I'm actually in another state at the time. I was in California, living in California, working and just devastated. I can't even imagine. So my whole foundation was just ripped out from underneath me because aren't you supposed to be married forever and yeah. you find your love and mm-hmm. things are great? And they weren't great. And I was in a really dark place, probably for the next 18 months. I call it my 18 months of hell mm-hmm. because of, first of all, of him just like being so abusive to me, mm-hmm. trying to pick those fights and trying to like tear me down and then him leaving. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I had hoped he would come back, but sure. I, I had no idea of knowing. And I kind of, because he traveled so much, I kind of hid it from a lot of people, uh, friends or coworkers. I'm like, oh yeah, he's just on a trip. Mm. You know, and so a lot of people did not know what I was going through and compound that with all the hormones of the child. Oh right? Um, but that child was actually what saved me. Really? Tell me why. I had a purpose. And uh, I had developed that relationship with God. And he told me some things during this time period. And uh, he told me that she was never meant for my first husband. Mm. She was a special gift for me for my personal righteousness and that she was to bless my life and she literally saved me and so i just and she's an old spirit Mm -hmm. and she just came into my life and and helped me make it through that time 
Yeah, it gave you a purpose, a reason to keep going. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, you mentioned before you were suicidal during this time. Mm -hmm. And is that what gave you the hope is I've got to take care of this baby? Right. Right. She's there. She's it's important for me to take care of her. And I also, you know, kind of figured out during this time, the reason why I didn't get pregnant for those last three years. Mm -hmm. What if I had gotten pregnant and my husband had bonded with her, then I would have had him in my life all the time. But now he walked away. He had no ties. He, he literally moved out of the country wow. and uh, he was completely removed. And I never tried to stop him from being involved in her life. Mm -hmm. But he never made an effort to be involved, which in retrospect was probably a really ideal situation because um, after after he left and uh, I, I had the baby and I just had these strong feelings like um, I'm supposed to be married. I'm supposed to have a husband and this child is supposed to have a father. And uh, I had to go through the divorce proceedings, you know, with him being gone, complete abandonment, yeah. right? Not, not even having a place to mail documents oh, to. Gosh. And then um, the way that that the, the new man came into my mm -hmm. life, right? And just the miraculous way that God provided and that it was meant to be, that that was the man that actually was supposed to be with me. And we've been married now um, almost 22 years. It'll be August, in August, it'll be 22 years, right? I mean, and we've had our ups and downs, but sure. you know, he's been solid. He's been there the whole time. That's so, awesome. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes we look back on our lives and we go, oh, I get it now. But at the time we're sitting there, questioning God and saying, why can't I have this happy marriage and or whatever it else it is. And God's like, give me some time. Exactly. And, and it does take time, which, you know, I'm not a very patient person and I don't think most people are. We want things right now. We want it the way we want it. This is, we have an idea of how it's supposed to be when in reality, God has a better idea. Yes. And, and what I learned through that was that God was there. He would provide. He would take care of me. Maybe not in the way I thought I needed yeah. to be taken care of, but I could rely on him. And I absolutely had that faith that no matter what happens, I would be okay. My family would be okay. And that's what I learned from that experience. Wow. That's powerful. It's a powerful lesson to learn early in life because life had a few more ups and downs for you, didn't yeah. it? <laughs> it, did. it did. You know, and just interesting as we go through life, what, what it hands us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, just five and a half years ago, my father passed away. Wow. And, uh, it unexpected in some ways, not in others. He had been bipolar for years, like his, his whole life almost, it was kind of genetic through my family, his mother, um, his grandmother and all of this had gotten passed down through the family. And so a lot of my aunts and uncles, my cousins, some of my siblings have this, um, mental issues, right? With right. Their issues with their mental health. And, uh, he, he was just up and down and had a really hard time socializing with people. You know, when the family would come over, we'd get together for holidays. He would want to be with us, but then he couldn't bring himself to be with us. So he might get his, he might just come and eat dinner and then go away to a different room and be by himself. Or there were times when he would just get a plate of food and take it away. He couldn't even be with us. And that's one sign that I know from some different bouts of depression that I've had mm -hmm. is that we tend to think the answer is to isolate ourselves when in reality, that's exactly opposite of what we need to be doing in order to come out of this, um, this funk and this depressive de depression that we have. Mm -hmm. It's actually to be with people. 
being which, with people which is, is not healthy. yes which is not what we always want to do when we don't feel good that makes total sense actually because when mm-hmm. we feel good we want to go hide ourselves in a little hole in our house and and pretend that the problem doesn't exist mm-hmm. but but the in reality the the truth of it is it's better to open up and talk about it exactly and i think you're gonna discuss a little bit of this right. so your father committed suicide right he did and I actually couldn't talk about it at the time. So he had uh, had an operation a couple months earlier. Mm -hmm. They had switched up his bipolar medication. He wasn't sleeping and he was just all messed up, right? So it was a terrible time. Um, And he happened to be driving. We think that he probably fell asleep because he hadn't been sleeping. The car sort of drifted and there was a parked um, street sweeper on the side of the road. And he slammed into the back of that. And I think it was just like the last straw. He had been uh, in his company, his insurance rates had been rising. And now this was going to um, to just increase them more because of the accident. He was in debt. He was just stressed over everything. He was in pain and and add to that the mental pain, Mm -hmm. the anguish. And he just pulled out his gun and in from the console and just shot himself. And uh, he was taken by ambulance to the hospital. And then I got a call from my brother-in-law and he said, Lark, your dad's in the hospital. He's in a coma. I need you to come down here right away. By the way, you have medical power of attorney. I had, um, I have, I'm the oldest of seven children mm-hmm. and uh, one lives in St. George and one lives back east. So the others, so the, the five of us that were close by all gathered around in my, um, and I was at the bottom of the bed. And the other siblings and were lined along the sides of the bed. Mm-hmm. And being the oldest, I've always had that, you know, like responsibility for the sure. kids. Oh, you know, I really feel that. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said, you know what? I don't think he's going to make it. Even if you turn off the life support, you know, he, he's not going to make it. So you need to make a decision. And all the heads, you know, of all my siblings, everybody in the room, they turn towards me. <laughs> like, and it's this weight. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I'm pretty pragmatic, pragmatic about this. And my mm-hmm. father had told me a long time ago, that, you know, he never wanted to be a vegetable. He never wanted to be hooked up to machines. And he had just gone through years and years of, of ups and downs and, I, and just difficult times. And so I, I knew that he would want the machines turned off. So right. they turned down the sound so that we wouldn't know exactly when he flatlined and, mm-hmm. you know, turned off the machines and then basically let, just let us have our time there with him. So, um, but it, it was hard, you know, and I just went into um, task mode to get the things done that needed to be done. Sure. Um, but I How did, were you inside? <laughs> Let me ask that. You know, it was very interesting because years earlier, my siblings and I had talked about my dad because the relationship was such that he he was often emotionally distanced from, distant from us our whole mm-hmm. lives. We didn't feel like he was very supportive. It was kind of controlling in some ways. And we had said years ago, when dad dies, we don't even care. You know, we're not, we're not going to the funeral. We're, you know, cutting mm-hmm. ties. And yet, when he passed away, that's not what happened. You know, there was a lot of emotions there. Some of the, the, my sisters were very emotional, had, took it very hard. Um, I sort of bottled things up. You know, mm-hmm. I did cry at the funeral, which really surprised me when I was, was talking. But uh, I just felt uh, a deep sense of sadness that things maybe couldn't have been, maybe could have been different, you know, yeah. in his life. And, and sad that he had to resort to that because he was in so much emotional turmoil and he'd had that difficulty for years. Yeah. And just, just a great sadness. 
mm-hmm. of the way it, it happened. So wow. So you bottled it up for a while, mm-hmm. and um, were you able to heal from that finally? Let me ask you. Yeah, that. finally, because of what I'm going through now. Ah. But uh, I just told people he passed away. I didn't go down the suicide route because the stigma, the shame, mm-hmm. all of these things around mental wellness, you know, oh, you know, so your dad's crazy. Maybe that means you're crazy or your family's crazy. Right. All of these things that I've thought in our society perpetuates, that, like I said, it was five and a half years ago. So it was just not something I could talk about. And very few people knew the story behind the real story. The real story. Yeah. I just said he was in a car accident and that's where I left it. So I couldn't talk about it. And because I couldn't talk about it, I couldn't face reality. It was, you know, separate from me. I I didn't even acknowledge the whole suicide thing, Mm -hmm. which I look back now and I think if I had been more real and accepting it, I probably could have moved through that faster because I was about five months that I was just in a dark hole and just barely functioning. I don't know how my kids got fed. Mm -hmm. I don't remember those five months. I was running a business and then later uh, I had a new accountant come in and and she was working with the books and she goes, I don't know what happened between January and May, but those numbers are all screwed up. They were like in the wrong categories, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. I was really in a bad place. Yeah. You're just barely functioning. Mm -hmm. Wow. So bottling things up then maybe the moral is doesn't solve no, it doesn't. You have to deal with it mm. at some point. Whether we want to or not. Right. Right. <laughs> right. right. And it's hard. Yeah. And it hurts. Mm-hmm. But I think we so often, uh, we, we're not willing to confront. And if we just confront what's real and say, yes, this is the fact, it's real. Instead of trying to hide it or, or push it away from us, we can then move through and accept things as reality right right wow that's that's really something good for us to think about and it's it's easier said than done right we can say yeah it's you need to open up but when it happens to us and i know when my son was diagnosed with autism i i did i was in denial for a long time because i could not face the fact that my life had been changed so drastically and it took me time to be able to process all of that emotion and finally be able to say, okay, my son has autism and be able to say it out loud and then start taking steps towards dealing with that and helping. Well, he was already getting help, but just processing all that. It's, it's tricky. Right. It's hard. It's not the life you planned. No, <laughs> no, darn it. <laughs> right. And, and yet, if you look back on your life at those things that were the most difficult they were the most growing times. Yes, absolutely. And I just look at it that every person that comes into our life, that person is to help us get back to God. Mm. And we can grow and learn from interacting with them. And they can show us where we need to change. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's not easy and it's not fun. But if you look at every person that comes into your life and say, this person is helping me come back to God. What a blessing. Mm. That's really a good way of looking at your interactions with other people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people irritate you and point out that, hey, I need to be better and more patient, which I already know. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I know I need to work on my patience. <laughs> wow. These are awesome things. Why don't you take us to your family today or 
in this last year or two. Tell us a little bit sure. about your, your family situation. Well, this has been very interesting, something that happened. Um, up until two years ago, mm-hmm. I thought I had three children. And maybe you've heard of the movie Elf. Yes. Yes. Well, that actually happened to my family. Wow. Yes. Do tell. <laughs> so my husband's from New Orleans, uh-huh. and uh, he grew up down there. And then as a late 20s, he converted to LDS Church, mm-hmm. thought that maybe moving to Utah might be a better environment for him to to live that religion. Mm-hmm. And so he moved up here um not knowing that he had left something behind. Ah. <laughs> and uh, the this boy grew up not knowing that, that the person on his birth certificate wasn't his birth father. And it wasn't until he was Ooh. about 17 that his mom mentioned, hey, you know, he might not be your birth father. And at that point, they, they had been divorced for many years. And, right. and this, this boy, Caleb, grew up and, and had a terrible life, really. His uh, The person he thought was his father just wasn't accepting it. And I think that his mother probably said, hey, may or may not be your kid type thing, right, right? right and and so he just really treated the boy Caleb differently not very loved his sisters got twice as many presents I mean oh, it was gosh. very evident you know mm-hmm. to him and at eight years old he just even want to go to his dad's house because he didn't feel like they loved or cared about him and I, when I heard that story that broke my heart can, oh yeah can you imagine a child thinking that their parent doesn't love them and doesn't accept them uh, that that was that was really sad for me um, and then later he, he married a wonderful woman and uh, they had three girls, and then she got pregnant with a boy. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, just over two years ago, this desire, who is my father? Mm-hmm. And so he, he had a talk with his mom. He actually had a DNA test done. Oh, and, there you and, go. Yep, there you go. And he he started looking on social media because she said, well, you know, it's this guy. I have no idea where he is. And it took him a while to find him because my husband is not very, you know, um, active at the time on social media, but they eventually found him and found some pictures of him when he was a teenager. And it was like, when you see them side by side, there is, I didn't need the DNA test when I saw those pictures. (laughs) Let me just say that. You're like, oh yes, you belong there. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so um, he actually contacted my husband right about early November. So we're coming up on two years. Mm -hmm. And then my husband was like, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, it took him a couple weeks to tell me because he was mm-hmm. like, oh, how is she going to take it? But I, I just was like, you know, this is our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was 27 at the time. Wow. And I thought, let's take the DNA test. Let's find out. Mm-hmm. And my husband's a numbers guy. He needed, you know, engineer. He needed, he needed the numbers, even though they look like twinners, you know, mm-hmm. um, everybody else was like, yeah, no numbers needed here. But I will tell you what a blessing. And the shock part was not just that there was a son, but Mm -hmm. that he was married and had three kids with a boy coming soon after. Right. So we were. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, (laughs) I thought I had several years, you know, (laughs) before that was going to happen. And and so that whole process, I'm like, wow. And um, we just embraced it. And it has been such a blessing. And so through the year of 2018, last year, Mm You know, we got to meet them in person in, mm-hmm. in Louisiana. They came out to be with us in at Thanksgiving this last year. The kids got to, you know, my three kids got to meet him and just the interactions and some of the healing that could take place for him. Not yeah. not completely whole, but healing because that was scary for him as well to oh, think sure. to reach out. Because I've heard from so many friends who they tried to reach out and their birth father was like, just shut him down. They didn't want anything to do with him. So it, it was a risk on his part. Sure. And what a blessing it has been because now what we're going through in 2019 he and his family have helped us so much 
Right. And once again, we see God's hand. Yeah. So um, March 21st, 2019, uh, just completely changed our family. So it's only been 14 weeks, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, my son, who was 19 at the time, freshman at the University of Utah, mm-hmm. he was studying mechanical engineering. This kid like had a mind and spatial ability, exceeded his father, you know, and was just from an early age. He just had all of these ideas and plans and everything. So it was absolutely the, the place he wanted to be. He had friends. He had hobbies. He and his uh, dad and brother were going to go on a trip the next week. They had all of these things going. If you looked at him and his life, never would you have said, oh, he's suffering from depression Mm. or he's suicidal. Mm -hmm. Never would you have ever thought that. Mm. And so I was actually, um, I left early that morning because I was teaching a class. Mm -hmm. And my husband got up and he's listening for my my son to get up and he's not hearing anything because he needs to leave for school. Mm-hmm. And so finally he goes upstairs, knocks on the door, nothing. It's locked, which is kind of unusual. We don't always lock our bedroom doors, you know, mm-hmm. and he forces it open and, and my son had shot himself. My husband is 35 years in the army. Mm-hmm. He's a lieutenant colonel. He has been to Afghanistan and Iraq. He has seen some terrible things. He has had to make decisions that cause life and death in people, you know? Mm -hmm. And yet this was the hardest thing he had ever gone through in his life. And I had, up till that point, I'd seen him cry twice in our marriage. And and one of those two times was at his mom's funeral. Mm -hmm. So very stoic. He cried for three days. Just completely broken man and unable to function his heart was broken because he and my son were so close right and what had happened the night before is my son had come home late from school and Stephen my husband decided that was a great time to have an actions consequences discussion you know (laughs) which is never at night Mm -hmm. you know and nothing he said was out of line because as a parent you know we want to make sure our kids understand their actions have consequences and the week prior, he had been in a car accident, which he needed to come out of pocket for the, the deductible. Mm. And then that combined with two speeding tickets, because, you know, what 19-year-old can possibly be expected co- to control their speed, right? Uh, we were pretty sure he was going to lose his license. And we did get a letter the next week. So my husband was explaining, hey, these this is the consequences of, of your choices over the last, you know, six months, mm-hmm. which was kind of hard for a, a, a teenage boy mm-hmm. you know and sometimes they only look at right now they don't understand we can make it through it's not yeah. the end of the world yeah. right yeah and then my husband's kind of pressing him how's your grades doing well it's getting harder my grades are dropping a bit okay let's focus on this etc cetera, etc cetera. and um in the summer you're gonna need to work make sure you have enough money for tuition just all these things right right nothing out of line it just i told him later Maybe 11 p.m. is not the best time. Everybody's tired. You know, we don't need to, to, to do all that. And and just maybe that was the final straw. It's like, it's just too much. Mm. And he just didn't feel like going on, carrying on, right? So, of course, my husband blames himself mm-hmm. for, for that. And, I, and my thought was, we didn't know what happened earlier in the day. We didn't know maybe if, if 
my son Christian would have chosen to take his life in a month, in a year, we, we, we can't know that, right? right? So as far as like my husband being at fault, I don't, I don't see that. It was Christian that, you know, made that final decision there. But I also think when somebody does take their life, they're not in their right minds. Yeah. They're in a, in a space where they're hurting mm -hmm. and all they can think of is that they just want to stop the pain. And I know years earlier, I had been in that space yeah. where it's, it is like a physical pain. Think of like you cut your arm and that pain that you feel, that pain is inside you, but unlike your arm, you don't know if it's ever going to heal. Yeah. And you just true. want it to stop. You don't care how it stops. You just want it to stop. Yeah. Right. And the issue there is that it, while people think it'll stop when somebody decides to take their own life, maybe their pain stops, but it just transfers to a hundred other people mm. and it gets compounded and there are no answers and it just hurts. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing I was teaching that class and you can imagine a police officer showing up oh my God. and asking for me and then taking me in the back room and saying, your, your son is dead. And I'm, complete denial. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. This doesn't compute for me. Yeah. And I'm thinking in my head, is he killed in a car accident on the way to the school? You know, I just yeah. did not acknowledge this. I'm looking at him like, no, you got the wrong person, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're wrong. And because I just seen him the day before. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, he, he had taken his own life. And I was in sort of a shock, just like not accepting it. And I'm like, okay, let me just turn over my class to my co-teacher and I'll, I'll drive right home, which I did. Um, so I, as I researched and did a lot of things, I spoke with a therapist who said that suicide is not so much a decision, it's a journey. And people that go down that road, they have a lot of pain. They have this physical pain that's eating them up inside and they just want it to stop. And so then they come to the idea of, well, I can make it stop by taking my life. Right. And then it kind of scares them because they're like, oh, I'm a terrible person because I even thought of that. Mm -hmm. And because they're thinking that about themselves, they don't want to say the words to someone else. Yeah. Because then other people will think they're terrible. Mm. And so that's why if we see suicidal tendencies in other people, we need to use the words. And with our children, we need to use the words. And I've had to use the words with my my kid, my girls, my younger one's 18 and she was very close to my son. And I've, I've said to her because I've worried, Yeah, are you feeling suicidal? If you feel like you want to hurt yourself and take your own life, I need you to talk to me. Will you agree to do that? And she, I had to like press her, but she didn't even want to acknowledge or talk about it. And I right. said, because right. you have to use those words. Have to use those words. You can't just say, Oh, are you going to hurt yourself? Because they're thinking, no, I'm not going to hurt myself. It's actually going to feel better. Yeah. So you have to say, do you feel suicidal? Are you planning to kill yourself? Which sounds shocking. Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, well, that will make them want to do it. No, that will just help them understand that you're willing to say the hard words. So then gives them room to say the hard words back. Right. And, and so then what happens is that they come up with a plan. And so we see sometimes we see people who are depressed or sad, suicidal. And they get, quote unquote, better. Mm -hmm. Well, they're not better. They've just created a plan that they know they can execute at any time. Mm -hmm. So three and a half years prior to my son's death, 
he was having it once again, a talk with my husband and my, you know, my husband's like laying it out. Okay. These things, these things, and you need to do this and this. And, and as parents, you know, we want to help our children, encourage them, but that's, we're walking this fine line of, did I push too much? Did I not push enough? It's so hard to know. It is hard to know. And so he was talking with him and because of the training my husband had received in the military, he noticed my son sort of disconnected with his eyes. He just noticed some body language there. Mm-hmm. And he had the thought to ask my son, are you feeling suicidal? Mm. And my son, who was 15, almost 16 at the time, said, yes, I am. It was a Sunday night. My husband immediately got on the phone. There's a special number the military have. Was able to get an appointment for my son the next day. So we said, okay, Christian, are you going to be okay through the night? You know, let's talk about it if you need something. Made it through the night, and then I took him to the therapist the next day. Right. And I'm waiting in the hall. He's having a talk with a therapist. Then I come in, and she says to him, do you want to tell your mom or should I? Mm. And he said, no, I'll I'll tell her. And he said, mom, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Mm -hmm. And he looks at me like I'm, you know, he's expecting me to have this big meltdown. And I said, well, son, you know, I can't make you believe in God. I believe in God. I believe God is science. But, you know, if that's what you want to believe, that's, you know, you, you run with that. Mm-hmm. You know, good luck with that type thing. Mm-hmm. And I think he just needed a safe space, what he thought was a safe space to express himself. And what I would encourage parents to know is that our children need to know that they can tell us anything. They can mm-hmm. talk to us about things. If he had said, hey, mom, I'm coming out of the closet or I got a girl pregnant or whatever, we need to be able to deal with it in a rational manner. And they need to know that it can be safe in coming to us with their problems. And, you know, the fact that we had to go through uh, a therapist, he didn't originally feel safe. Hopefully after that, he felt a bit better, right? Right. But uh, he saw that, you know, life went on, yeah. it didn't end, you know, and, and mm-hmm. we were we were good. But he got some counseling for uh, about three months and then he says, no, I'm, I'm good. Well, in looking back on it, he had just created a plan. Mm. And three years later, he executed that plan. Mm. He seemed fine during those three years would never have guessed Hmm. and it just and then one night we just took the plan in place we're going to take a quick break but when we get back we're going to have lark tell us about what suicidal tendencies look like and how we can help people who have them and prevent suicide in the people we love how many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic crazy and completely awful compared to the norm. What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The Diagnosis Survival Guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. Today I'm speaking with Lark Galley about the heavy topic of suicide and how we can prevent it in the people we love. 
So, so what are some of the things that um, people should look for suicidal tendencies? So sometimes you will, you'll have a hard time really knowing, right? Yeah. And and that and that's what's kind of scary. But we need to be willing to have the conversations with other people, the hard conversations, and and bring it up and talk about it, because. That's what I'm doing right now is like, let's talk about this mm -hmm. so that it gives other people a safe place to say, I've been experiencing this. And the more I've been talking about it, it amazes me how many people feel come feel comfortable coming and telling me, I tried to take my life 20 years ago, or I tried earlier this year, or I've been feeling really depressed. You know, I've been feeling this way. And so if we can talk about it, then, then they feel safe in coming to you and expressing it. But there were three things that a therapist mentioned that, um, can, can lead to feeling suicidal is mm -hmm. that one, if we're not part of a community, if we don't have some kind of community, which is why I think sometimes um, certain churches get, get blamed. Oh, you know, the community didn't accept this person. They don't feel part of the community. Well, you know, however they are, just accept them and let them be. It doesn't mean you have to embrace their lifestyle or whatever right. they do, but just, you know, you can still be nice and mm -hmm. kind, right? Yes, absolutely. So community is important. And then they need to feel like they belong. And, and that's why a lot of times we see a lot of people who take their own life because they're on the fringes. They don't feel like they belong. Mm. And then finally is that they feel like they're a burden to their family. And we need to be so careful because they, they just feel like there's so much turmoil. My family would be better off without me. Mm. And they really truly believe that they're doing everyone else a favor mm. by taking their life. So those are the, the, the key things. Interesting. And being able to have conversations you know, just really trusting conversations with your kids so that they know you love them no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important to to tell your kids, use the love words and also ask them if they're suicidal, especially those teenage years, which are particularly hard. Right. Yeah, right. And what I didn't know until later, even with my father's suicide, because I denied it and I pushed it away from me, mm -hmm. I did not know how prevalent suicide was. I did not know it's the number one killer of our youth in our state. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. And I'm thinking, you know, I consider myself a pretty good parent. Mm -hmm. I, you know, warn my kids of certain dangers. I've tried to protect them and give them certain skills, life skills to help them. Mm -hmm. Why didn't I know this? Even with my son having these, you know, issues with suicidal ideation three and a half years earlier, why didn't I look at that more and talk about it more? Mm -hmm. I just didn't know. And that's what I regret is not knowing how epidemic suicide is in our state, in our nation, you know, and it's, it's the, the, the teenage years, even down to, you know, nine and 10 year olds, wow. it's happening too. And I think social media can contribute to that. Cause if we think, I think when I was in high school, I did something stupid, maybe 10 people knew. Right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and now you do something stupid and a thousand people can know within yeah. 24 hours. And as an adolescent before your brain is fully developed, you're thinking your life is over. Yeah, that's true. And and as an adult, we can kind of see, well, you know, it's not great, but we'll eventually make it through, right? Like yeah. like my son. Okay, you know, so you lose your license for 30 days. It's not the end of the world. Or grades aren't so great. Well, there are some things we can do about it. Not mm -hmm. the end of the world. But for him, it was the end of the world. It was just too much to process. And he didn't feel like he had a safe place to talk about it. Mm. So maybe the other tip is just making sure that they know that you can talk to them about anything right, and right. they can talk to you about mm -hmm. anything. So some other things I learned through this is 
um, my son and I, we did not have a great relationship. He was very alpha male. Mm-hmm. And, and since he was three, he thought the pecking order in the house was dad, three-year-old son, and mom is down at the bottom next to the cat, right? <laughs> so, and he's very intellectual. So by the time he was six, he could argue with me and explain why my logic was wrong and he was right. And and he was often right, which, you know, only upset me more. But he just had to argue all the time about things. And it was so frustrating for me. And so to go through, you know, his younger years and the teenage years, so frustrating. And after um, he was talking about, you know, I don't believe in God. And then the whole thing about him uh, just pushing away with my beliefs. And I felt kind of like uh, he had he had rejected what I felt was so important, but trying to work with him and, and having to change the way I dealt with him so that I wasn't, you know, we're a militant family and mm-hmm. houses run very militant, you know, like these are the, these are the rules and this is what you do and this is how it is. And having to really take a softer approach with him and not push and demand so much. And it had been about a year after he had said, you know, the whole thing about I don't believe in God and that whole thing. And so he was 16, almost 17, you know, that Mm -hmm. magical age for boys, right, (laughs) where they know everything. And I was walking down the hall and I can remember it so clearly because I I literally thought about him all the time. It was my number one issue, irritant in my life. Mm -hmm. And as I'm walking down the hall, I got this impression that came to me and it said, He's not the problem. You are. Oh. Which was very humbling, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Lord. <laughs> right. Once again, it's like, okay, wow. And um, this, like, picture opened up in my mind, and it was my son and me talking before we came to Earth, and we were talking, and he said, Mom, you're going to have a lot of problems. You're going to need some help to learn how to be more loving and Christ-like. But I'm going to help you. And I realized that what he was going through, it wasn't for him. It was actually for me to help me be a better person through those mm-hmm. through that time period. Never realizing that with his death, there was something even more there. So as I mentioned, we had a difficult time. I mean, we could barely speak to each other at times without just, you know, losing it. <sighs> um, and so then as he graduated from high school, uh, I'm like, you're out of here. You know, I'm packing. I started packing his stuff <laughs> a couple weeks after he graduated. And I had been telling him this, but, you know, he he's the kind of homebody that he would have stayed till he was 35 and, yeah. you know, and have been fine with it. Um, but he realized, oh, my goodness, mom, mom's serious. And I'm like, I don't care where you go, but it's not here because I'm done with arguing. Mm-hmm. Um, when he started seeing that I was pretty serious, he, okay, what can he do? And he started to be a, a little bit more helpful. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me bring my dirty clothes down from my room that has six feet high pile behind the door. And let me do my wash and let me, you know, tidy up a bit after myself. And so through that summer, before he started school, we actually came to a happy medium. You know, I lightened up a bit mm-hmm. and he stepped it up a bit. Neither one of us were happy, mm-hmm. but we were in a better place. And I'm like, okay, if if you can, you know, keep these things up, then, then you can stay here this, mm-hmm. you know, through school. Okay. So we had started to improve our relationship, which, which is key as I look back. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, something my daughter said a couple of weeks after my son passed away is that she said, mom, you were always trying to improve your relationship with him. 
she noticed what I had done. I was always reading parenting books. Mm -hmm. I was listening to different classes, taking courses. I was getting counseling help, parental counseling, all of these things, literally up until the day he died. I was specifically doing things to try to change the way I parented him. He was 19, right? Mm -hmm. And I had been doing all these things very active because it was such a concern to me. And one of the things I did right, right before he died was uh, listen to this book on tape called Real Love by Greg Bear. Mm-hmm. And it changed the way I looked at things. And it allowed me to say, real love is wanting another person's happiness more so you know, than, than your own happiness yeah. and accepting them for just who they are without you know, any expectations. Mm-hmm. And I realized that you know, we all do this as parents and you know, we were probably raised this way as well that our parents have expectations and they show us by their facial expressions that whether they're happy or not. And, mm-hmm. you know, I certainly did that for my kids, you know, and, and uh, they learn very quickly what what's going to get uh, happy looks from the parents versus mm-hmm. sad looks. And so I went out, um, had a like a talk with each of my kids mm-hmm. individually. And uh, two weeks before my son passed away, we went out to dinner together by ourselves. Dad was out of town. And for an hour, he talked to me. Mm. And this is a kid who couldn't say, couldn't talk to me for five minutes. Wow. And we talked about that and, you know, how mom and dad could have parented differently and maybe all of that. And I just ended, you know, he, he talked a lot and I said, you know, parents aren't perfect. We really try to do the very best we can. And yes, we probably could have done some things differently, but we did the best we could at that. Yeah. And I look back on that and our whole, you know, earlier life uh, of just, fighting and being unable to express what we needed and wanted from each other. How grateful I am that at least we could have had that talk and we could have been in a better place than to have regret for not trying to improve that relationship. Right. So how, as a parent, do you process all that grief and move forward? What, where, where have you been able to turn and how, how have you been able to be able to finally talk about suicide this right. time around? <laughs> right, because that, that did not happen at the very beginning. So, yeah. so my son died on a Thursday. Yes. And uh, finally on Saturday, I posted on social media, um, our son passed away. And that's kind of where I left it because once again, the shame, the stigma, the judgment, oh my goodness, you know, they aren't good parents or what was wrong with their son or what's going on? Why didn't they know? All of these things, I just couldn't deal with that. I was okay, you know, talking to friends or family about it if they asked. I would I would say that, but not on social media, right? right. You never know what's going to come back. Um, but then what happened over the next three days mm-hmm. is that friends started reaching out to me. And these were concerned moms who had children, teenagers who knew my son. Mm-hmm. And they told me my daughter took a bottle of pills last year and she was in the hospital for a week and we barely saved her. And now, you know, we're so concerned. We, we live in fear that she's going to try to do something again. Another mother told me my son's already been in a dark place. And now, you know, now that he knows about your son passing away, it's just like, I'm afraid where that might go. And then I had a sister who has a son that's very close in age to my son. They were very close to get, you know, held around a lot. He was out of state at college. Mm-hmm. She didn't even tell him why. She just said, get on a plane and come home now. Mm-hmm. Because where he was emotionally, she knew that he could not be left alone. Right. And then I had uh, a sister of a friend of mine reach out to me and say, 
my son who's 17, we have been on 24 seven suicide watch with this boy for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even imagine that. How could you, you know, cope with that? How could you mm -hmm. think, oh, I might not see him tomorrow, mm -hmm. you know? how devastating that would be. Yeah. And so all of these people started reaching out to me and telling me their story. Mm -hmm. And between Saturday and Tuesday, I realized that this wasn't about me. It wasn't about shame or guilt or anything. This was about saving these children. Yeah. Because what I was concerned with was the copycat yeah. that happens so often there was a school um, in a town over last year. They had six suicides within a couple months. Wow. And it's because one does it and the next and the next. And I couldn't change what my son did. Right. I can't change if another child chooses to take it. What's the only thing I can do? It's I can change me. I can do something different. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, I'm speaking up. And so I posted on Tuesday and this was like, wow, this was a leap of faith and it was scary, but I just felt I have a moral obligation because if I didn't do this and one of these children copycatted my son, that's what I couldn't live with. Right. So I put it out there and I said at the very top to catch people's attention, since my son's suicide, many concerned mothers have reached out to me. So that pretty much caught a lot of people's attention, right? And, mm -hmm. and then I talked about how the the pain doesn't end. It just transfers to other people that we need to be accepting and loving of our children. We need to talk to them and that there is nothing you're going through that we can't help you out with. You know, there, there will be help. So I, I put all of that there and it just spread Good. and people started talking about it. And I started talking to all the moms that had reached out to me. I said, go read this with your child. Yeah. And the mom with the son who's on 24-7 suicide watch, she, she wrote me back. She goes, he bawled. And another girl, uh, another woman wrote back that her daughter, she just, she said, mom, I'm not going to be with you. And then uh, the son of our friend, they came to the viewing. And I took him and I held him and I said, please, if you ever hurt, talk to your parents. Please don't ever put them through what, what, my husband and I are feeling right now. Please, will you promise me? And he said, yes. Well, a month later, he was going through some really hard times and really breaking down. And his parents were so concerned. My friends were so concerned that he might attempt to take his life. And so they talked to him about that. And he goes, no, mom, I will never do that. If I'm feeling really bad, I will always come and talk to you because Mark and Stephen reached out to me at the viewing and they made me promise that I would never do that. So I look at these children that I know about, that I specifically know that I have impacted their lives and changed, hopefully changed the outcome for a long time. That was worth whatever embarrassment factor I might have gone through, which was that people were so kind and supportive. I haven't had anything come back that was negative. Mm -hmm. So like I said, my, my mission now is to support other people, to give them a safe space, to know that everybody matters. And that we need to stick around. We need each other. That's so important. Um, and so I've been like on this platform. <laughs> yes, you have. Like I cannot stop. I feel compelled to share this message almost to the point where my husband's like, could we stop talking to strangers about this now? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm sure we're not done yet. You know, 
But the, the night my son passed away, we had one of our church leaders came over and he gave us a blessing. Uh-huh. And my, my blessing started out with Lark, you know, all the comfort things. And then he stopped mm-hmm. and he said, Lark, you have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. And afterwards, I'm thinking, what are you talking about work? How can you even <laughs> think about work at a time like this? This is one of the most emotionally draining days of my life. Yeah. And how can you think? Because I'm not thinking about like God's work. I'm thinking about work, work, right? Uh, yeah. And then over, like I said, the course of that weekend, I realized what my work was. And everything changed. And it was, it had to do with a decision. I decided that this tragic event would have meaning. And so I look back on those horrific things that happened to me, you know, where I went through 18 months of my hell time with my first husband leaving me. And then I look at my father's suicide and just five months of dark, deep, whole depression. Mm -hmm. And I literally flipped a switch that it was, it was less than a week that my son passed away that I decided it wasn't going to be like that. There was pain but I wasn't going to suffer. Wow. And those are two different things. Yeah. Cause there's pain. Yeah. But you don't have to choose the suffering. Wow. So you just, you saw the perspective that because of life circumstances, there can be positive growth. Is that, is that what it is? Right. There's that. And then just knowing that, that I have a higher mission mm. that, God wants me to fulfill. And I feel my son close by talking about this brings my son close to me. Um, people say, well, are you sad that he's gone? I'm like, no, you don't understand. He's actually closer to me now than he was in life. And I feel him helping me. Yeah. My friend who lives just up the street from me, mm-hmm. her daughter passed away just over two weeks ago and it was unintentional overdose. But when I found out, I went up that day and it was almost as if I was reliving that first day with my son. I was very glad though that I could be there to support her. And later in that night, as I'm thinking about her, I just had this overwhelming feeling. Uh, God's telling me, you have got to get this message out. You have got to talk faster. You've got to talk to more people about the situation because everybody matters. And I don't want to lose one more person to suicide because death happens. It's going to happen to everybody, right? It's just a fact. Um, And, and it can be sad. And then there are accidents which are sad as well, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but those are sort of out of our control. Mm -hmm. But the thought of someone taking their own life and ending it earlier when they have the opportunity to make such an impact on someone else. Mm -hmm. I think of two mentors in my life that have changed my life and totally Helped me to become a better person. They both had suicidal ideation years earlier. Mm. And they came very close to taking their own lives. And I look on that and I think, what if they had done that? They yeah. would not then, you know, years later been available to be in my life and make the impact that they made in my life. Mm. And I tell people, you are that person mm. to someone else. You might be going through a hard time. You might be really hurting inside. Find Find a way through this because what you're going through, your message matters and you need to be there down the road for the next person that's going to need you. Wow. 
that is a really powerful way to look at it. You have no idea the possibilities, the future possibilities and the people you will impact. So bear that in mind. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful. And that, and sometimes I think the problem is we can't see the future. We can't imagine what the future will hold. Sometimes it's too hard to see past our own pain. And I think at that point, we've got to trust that God knows what that future entails. Mm-hmm. And he'll help you get through what you're through, going through right now and reach your full potential. He believes in you. Yeah. Exactly. And I just allude back to, you know, our I call him my bonus boy and his family. <laughs> and I say, what a blessing and timing. I look at this timing, mm. how wonderful that it was, uh, you know, a year and a half before my son passed away so that they uh, they can all get to know each other. Yeah. And he has been such a blessing for my my husband, especially. Yeah, I bet. He still has a son alive, yeah. right? Yeah. And and the grandkids right? That has meant so much that he has kids, you know, grandkids, they just love you, right? No matter what, he can do no wrong. (laughs) They love Papa. (laughs) What a blessing. Lifesavers, literally lifesavers. And and that's another thing that has happened afterwards is that, you know, the grief and uh, just dealing with it, you know, I've got uh, my kids, different levels of where they're at. The 18 year old won't even talk about it. Right. You know, she gets angry and my, my other daughter wants to like chuck her corporate job and go move to the wilderness. And I'm like, oh, please, you have a mortgage. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? So, so different levels. And then my sometimes frustration with, with them at different levels and my husband and I'm like, okay, I've processed, I've moved on. Let's, you know, let's move through this and find meaning in this and, and make a change and help other people. That's how I'm dealing with this. And mm-hmm. They're not where I'm at, which I've had to allow everyone to be in their own space. And then I can see why marriages and families fall apart after a tragedy like this. And the number one thing we have to do is do not blame. Don't blame yourself. Don't point the finger at anybody else because it's easy to do. And you always want to look for, you know, the scapegoat or how can I, how can I justify this? Who, who's going to take the blame? That's how things fall apart. Mm, right. So what is the right thing to do? I mean, obviously give people their space, but after he passed away on, so he passed away on the Thursday, a lot of phone calls on that weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And then I I just remember thinking on the Sunday and I start, I started to spiral down into a really dark place. And I'm like, I know he hated me. I know he thought I was a terrible mom. I was never good enough. All, all these thoughts. And I was in this dark place. Well, during the course of the next week, over time, I had three different people reach out to me. And all three of them said, Lark, I have a message from your son. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) you know, I'm open. All three of them started by saying, tell my mother that I love her. So for me, I know he loves me. I know he understands why I parented the way I did because I cared about him. It's not because I didn't care about him. It's because I cared and I loved him. So for me, he's closer and he understands. And I know he loves me. And that's what makes a difference is that I, I know that it's just a moment right now. It's hard, but it's just a small moment and then it'll be okay. We'll be together. It will be okay. And the other thing, you know, it's, it's 
we have to be careful when people are going through grief or, or they've lost someone. Oh, don't worry. You know, you'll be fine or all of that. Yeah. That, that's not something you can say or judge people. That doesn't allow them to grieve. We need to allow people space to grieve mm-hmm. and just show up and say, I'm here for you. We don't have to have the answers. Yeah. We can just say, I'm, I'm here to support you, however, whatever that looks like. And, and not try to solve things because we really can't. And so it's just, it's just eliminating the blame. No blame. Just let that go. No blame. And we don't have answers. We will never know the whole why thing. Everybody wants to know why. Mm-hmm. And it's just like he, he's, in my mind, he's not even the same person as that day he took his life. Mm-hmm. Because he's learned and grown. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it also shows the power of love. Mm-hmm. Power of love can pull us from that spiraling down. Right. And so maybe that was the message you needed to hear was that he loved you. And um, it's good to know. Lark, thank you so much for sharing all these amazing lessons you've learned along the way and how um, God has helped you gain a perspective and a mission that gives you purpose to keep going and to save others. I think that's a beautiful and powerful mission. And I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to reach out and help one another in these hard times um, and build these communities, as you say, communities that are safe and loving for everyone. So is there a uh, any favorite Bible verses that you have found especially comforting on your journey? So earlier when I was going through this with, with my first husband leaving yes. me and just that whole time period um, was Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Because mm-hmm. so often we think we have all the answers or we know what's best. And as I look back, I knew nothing, so to speak. Yeah. God was preparing the way and he was setting up the circumstances so that my husband and I could meet because I was living in San Francisco and I moved back home to be near my parents mm-hmm. as a single mom. Mm-hmm. He had been living in Louisiana, converted, moved to Utah. We literally lived within two miles of each other oh <laughs> and came into contact with each other. And I look at that, you know, h- how could I possibly have planned or orchestrated that? Yeah, you couldn't have. It's amazing, right? And that's just, God. That's God. And that's what... Just let him take care of things. Mm-hmm. We are so intent on taking control. Mm-hmm. And that's not our job. Our job is to just move forward and follow the promptings that he gives us and he'll work it out. And that's what I've been doing with my current mission now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because when I really felt that mission, like you need to get this out there and I do business coaching. You know, I don't, I don't live in the soft, fluffy you know, <laughs> s- state of all of that. And I said, God, I will do whatever you tell me to do, but you have got to open doors. You have got to guide me. You've got to help me. And uh, so I would listen to these nudges. And my thought was, how do I get my message out there? And the thought came beyond other people's podcasts. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, brilliant. Right. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of days later, I found out that I was told I was writing a book. And I'm like, great, lots of free time. <laughs> I'm writing my book. So and, and then I was like, I don't know where to go with this. And he brought someone into my life who said, oh, I have a publisher and let me see if they want to take that. Yes. 
So now Morgan James, the, the publisher, a huge publisher of faith-based books, fantastic, was said, "I'd very much like to read your manuscript." Right. So now Wonderful. I'm now I'm writing it, you know, and and doing all that, and so I look at these things, and I just have to trust in God, right? Yeah. Now you're on your journey. Yes, now it's my turn. <laughs> so then the other one for right now in my journey is Esther uh, chapter 4, verse 14. And it says, And who knoweth whether thou art come for such a time as this? Mm. Because I look at all the things that have happened in my life and all my experiences, my work experience, opportunities for training and learning. And it wasn't for me. It was for my mission right now. Your message. God's message. Exactly. People matter. Right. They do. Yeah. And we need to talk about this and create a safe space. And so uh, what was interesting is I had been creating all of these business coaching programs mm -hmm. and I had to call up my clients and say, um, I don't want to do that anymore. I have no <laughs> desire, you know, to talk about like helping you improve your business. I want to talk about what's inside you. And so I've switched all my courses. I've created this course called Emotional Self-Reliance, mm -hmm. which three months ago, if you'd said I was doing anything with the word emotional in it, <laughs> I would have said, no, you've got the wrong person, right? Right. Or even if you had told me that I'd be talking about suicide, I'd be like, oh, no. And now I know you're crazy, right? Yeah. And here I am. You know, I can't talk enough about it. Right. You're because, driven. Yes, I am driven. I'm absolutely driven to talk about it. And so I'm just changing everything. Mm -hmm. And how I'm trying to help people find value in their lives. Because I know throughout my life, even though I've done some amazing things, I never felt good enough. Or one more achievement and then I'll be good enough. Mm. And I look at my son who took his life and I think he didn't feel that value either. Mm. And so if I can help people see their value inside, that they're, they're valuable just for who they are. Mm -hmm. Just because they showed up. Yeah. They didn't have to do anything. Yeah. That's what I want to instill in people is that they have value. And so I'm creating all these courses and talking to people. Um, so if they want to know about that, it's on my website, Lark Dean Galley. So Lark Dean, D-E-A-N, Galley. And um, I'm offering a free module to my emotional self-reliance course. Awesome. And then also I'm going to be putting up a speech that I did recently that says events do not define you and that you do not have to take your identity from all of these things that have happened to you through your life, you can make that decision. That's my word. Decide. Just mm -hmm. decide that it's going to have meaning. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's beautiful. Find meaning in your tragedies, but don't let them define you. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. And we'll reference all these things in the show notes for sure um, so that other people can find them. If people have resonated with your message here and want to get a hold of you, would they visit you on your website or... Right. They can get to my website. There's um, um, an email address there they can connect with or Facebook uh, Living Life with Lark Dean Galley. They can Perfect. find me there. Thank you so much for being willing to dive deep and share your emotional roller coaster so that hopefully others don't have to go on that same roller coaster. Exactly. So thank you for being willing to share. My pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website, 
It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember God loves you.